School CEO Conversations is an Aptigy Media production. We like to have insightful conversations with education's most inspiring and thoughtful leaders. In this episode, How to Sell SEL, we talk with Dr. Adam Tyner, Associate Director of Research at the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Here are today's hosts, Michael and Brittany. Today on the podcast, we're really excited to have Adam Tyner, the Associate Director of Research at the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. He actually just authored a report and study entitled How to Sell SEL, Parents and the Politics of Social-Emotional Learning. Adam, welcome to the podcast. Great to be with you all. Well, just to get started, obviously, social-emotional learning has been a big topic lately. So I was curious, though, like what prompted you to actually run this study about how to specifically sell SEL? Well, of course, SEL has been a big kind of buzzword in education for the last few years, especially. And we felt like there had been a lot of studies that had looked at kind of how teachers were implementing it and how administrators thought about it. But the voices of parents had not been as much of a part of the conversation as we thought they ought to be. And so we worked with the international polling firm YouGov to survey 2000 parents of students in uh, grades K through 12 over their opinions on SEL and a range of issues that are kind of uh, either related to or adjacent to social and emotional learning. So our listeners are primarily superintendents, and so they're pretty familiar with SEL, but the specifics can really vary, um, especially in how people implement it in their district. How did you define SEL for the survey? Yeah, it, it is a term that is it can be very broad and there are some people who think it should be like very well delineated. I'm a little skeptical that it's possible to separate it from some of the other things that are uh, kind of adjacent to it or related to it. But in the survey, you know, it's always kind of like threading the needle when you do a poll that you want to make sure that the ideas that you're asking about are as clear as possible, but also you're not like push polling. You're not like telling them, this is the best thing in the world. And now let's ask you your opinion on it. So we tried to give a pretty neutral definition of it at the beginning and to sort of remind them of some definitions where it was necessary, but not to go too far. Um, it's hard to find a definition of social emotional learning that doesn't sound really good. So we didn't want to like bias them, but at the same time, we wanted to make sure it was clear what we were talking about. And so it, towards the beginning of the survey, we uh, defined it as the process of developing self-awareness, self-control, interpersonal skills, responsible or ethical decision-making, and civic awareness. And that is a little broader than some definitions of it. We based uh, that on the Harvard Explore SEL framework that is a little broader than some things because we wanted to kind of cover a lot of parent opinions that may be related to, to those topics, even if they're not in the you know, extremely, you know, most narrow lane of, of SEL as, as some educators and specialists think about it. So you say in the report that there's large support for teaching SEL, and you found that each of the skills themselves had overwhelming support, but kind of where did the nuance happen as to how people feel about the specific language around SEL? Well, when we asked parents about substantive questions about SEL, like, you know, should schools be teaching and then different SEL related skills that, you know, again, were kind of aligned to SEL frameworks, but things like goal goal setting or approaching challenges in an optimistic way or empathy. We asked them, you know, should schools be teaching this stuff? 
And parents overwhelmingly say that schools should be teaching it and that students should be learning this stuff in schools to some extent. So there's not really a lot of division on that, but there's a couple of twists to that. One is that in, in general, politics, political partisanship was the biggest predictor of how responses varied on the survey. And so we saw softer support among Republicans for pretty much across the board for SEL, both terms and the substance. And it's not to say that Republicans were against SEL. It was still large majorities of Republicans who supported the substance, but the support was softer for them. The other thing that I would bring up in terms of the terminology is that the term itself is much less popular than the substance behind the term. And so we asked parents about, for example, a list of 12 different programs that their child could potentially be enrolled in. And which of these programs, we asked the parents, would you most want your child to be enrolled in and which would you least want your child to be enrolled in? And the term social emotional learning came out second to last among the 12 uh, wow. options that we asked about. Um, so it was not very popular with parents, the term itself. Now, I would say that the term social, emotional, and academic learning fared much better. Uh, I think it was second or third overall. So it actually wasn't bad. But if just the term itself didn't do very well, the term life skills, on the other hand, uh, was the overwhelming favorite of parents, um, had the most positive ratings. And so uh, we saw in other places where if you kind of frame things differently or you ask about terms, the term social emotional learning is just not one that is particularly resonant. It doesn't particularly resonate with, with parents. It doesn't seem at least as much as some other skills. Now, of course, something like life skills may imply a totally different set of things. I'm not trying to say that these are all equivalent because substantively they can be different too. But um, in terms of just like, which of these do you like? And we had things like, you know, 21st century skills and other kinds of character education, stuff like that. Um, the term social and emotional learning not really coming out, uh, doing very well in that aspect of the, of the poll. I did think the social, emotional, and academic learning piece was really interesting that it came in second. But I also know you ended up breaking those responses out by like Democrat and Republican. And I think Republicans actually still did not favor it. I think it was, but it was very slight. But the Democrats, that was actually what pushed that to the second point was that overwhelming support on that end, which I thought was really interesting that even though it looks like it may be a good alternative, it probably isn't in a lot of communities. Yeah, it may depend on the community. That's true. And that's part of what we wanted to highlight is that not all parents see this in the same way. And some of these terms may be just fine in one community, but it may not really resonate in another one. So um, now, of course, again, some of the substance may resonate more or less with different communities as well. And that's something that uh, the leaders have to think about. But um, but you're right. Both the terms related to social and emotional learning that had those terms in them, whether it had academic or not, were underwater with Republicans, where more people said they didn't want their kid in that program than uh, wanted their, their child. So I have to say that your report really surprised me. So I was an educator for eight years, and I still consider myself an educator. And whenever, you know, the national dialogue 
um, as we navigate out of the pandemic, hopefully, um, started pivoting to talk more about SEL, I thought, oh, wow, this is going to be really popular. Everyone's going to love this. And while your report shows that that may be true in substance, like people have very different opinions about what SEL is. And I mean, I guess more importantly, like what kind of skills they want their kids to focus on in schools. What surprised you the most about your um, about your findings? Well, you know, I guess the the finding that parents were not as excited about the term social and emotional learning as some of the other terms um, wasn't that surprising to me because I, I actually haven't been in this field for that long. I've been an education researcher for a few years. Um, and like everybody, I, I already had a lot of opinions about education because I've gone through parts of the system and everything too. So, but the term social and emotional learning is perhaps unnecessarily wonky and jargony and complicated. And a lot of people just don't like stuff like that, especially when it kind of sounds like something that they may already know about, but then you're talking yeah. about it in a way that excludes them for some reason. And so as insiders to the education world, it's easy for us to kind of get cued into this jargon and to actually enjoy it because it lets us kind of speak in our own way. That's almost a little bit of a um, it, it creates distance from, from outsiders. And that gives us kind of a feeling of, oh, we all know the jargon. We all know this stuff, but other stakeholders in the system, including parents don't have all day to read about all of this stuff. Didn't go to school to learn about this stuff and learn about the jargon. And so if you talk about something that to me, a lot of the stuff in social emotional learning is not something that was dreamed up in education schools or by psychologists in the last 20 years. A lot of it goes, it's as old as education itself. Many people have opinions and, and relatively informed opinions about a lot of those issues, but then you start calling it something else using this, you know, these diagrams and this new jargon. It There's something that is anti-democratic about it in the, small d sense in the sense that it's exclusive rather than being inclusive and i guess it's not a big shock to me that some people at least are kind of turned off by the term now some people like elite and scientific -y sounding things so that's another thing pulling in the opposite direction right that's why we have a lot of things that are kind of pseudoscience that do really well popularly because people sometimes really like that stuff so that can kind of pull in both directions i suppose the fact that it has this kind of ivory tower sound to it but it wasn't a big shock to me that there were some parents who were not really you know excited about that term and that people liked the substantive things we asked about in general. I mean, that was true pretty much of everybody liked the substance more than they yeah. liked the term. And the one thing that did surprise you asked about what surprised me, I told you about a bunch of things that didn't surprise me as much. So um, let me actually answer your question. So you asked uh, what surprised me. And one thing that we had, we wanted to make sure that this poll was inclusive of a lot of viewpoints and was framing things in ways that might appeal to different groups. And so we just had to guess because mm -hmm. we didn't know that's why we were running the poll. But one thing that we kind of guessed might resonate more with conservatives or with Republicans in this case, was we broke it out by partisanship, is the term character education. And in our list of terms, the term character education is actually just as much favored by Democrats as by Republicans. And in fact, I think slightly more favored by Democrats than Republicans. And we kind of thought that that may kind of cue into a traditional set of values or something like that. And that may, that you know Republicans might like that, but it wasn't really the case.
do you think that's because maybe a lot of Republicans feel that maybe character education should be done like in the home or in a more of a religious setting? I mean, do you feel like that's the reason why or just curious on your take on that? Well, we don't ask about that specific question, but I think there's some evidence of that in the poll that, you know, actually, I don't know if that's true, because I was about to say that Republicans might um, you know, think this is more the province of families and not the and not something for schools. But if you ask parents about like who's most responsible for social and emotional learning, as we did in the poll, the parents say overwhelmingly it's something from the family, that it's parents who are the most responsible, other family members who are the second most responsible, the child, him or herself, who's the third most responsible, and then a kind of distant fourth is teachers, and then we get into other people in the schools, and I kind of thought coaches might be higher on the list, and they were pretty low on the list. Yeah, I did too. But there's not actually a big partisan divide there. It's actually like the overwhelming percent, like the, the order that I just gave you is true whether you're Democrat or Republican. People tend to see this as something that is primarily in the family. What you said makes sense to me, but the main place we asked about that doesn't really show evidence of that because Democrats were just as likely as Republicans to sort of say this is more something that the family is most responsible for, I should say. So if you were to make like an official recommendation, as official as you can, what would you recommend schools call this? Like character education or social emotional learning or life skills or soft skills? Like there are a lot of terms. Like what would you make your recommendation or would you say it differs depending on their community? I think it does differ. I think part of what we were, uh, you know, we did find a lot of agreement in, the, in this poll. So I don't want to exaggerate that Republicans and Democrats saw this completely differently. We didn't really see that. I mean, we saw places where there were differences that were pretty substantial, but it wasn't like, you know, Mars and Venus or whatever. It wasn't like they were completely seeing this in, in totally different ways. So that said, I think that it does depend on the community some. In some communities, some of these terms are going to be better. And I think that school leaders and, and district leaders they know generally their communities pretty well. And so they're involved in their communities. And so they may just want to think about that or run their own informal poll or, or something locally to see kind of what's resonating. But I mean, I think there's a, a question about whether this is about branding or about substance. And I, you know, what you call it, yeah, it may differ by community or it may be better if you use more plain spoken language because people you know, are going to, more of the parents are going to understand it. These parents didn't all go to ed school. They don't all know all of these terms, right? But then there's also a question of whether the substance should be different in different places, or if the term social and emotional learning is defining something that's much more specific than the broader vision that I kind of see and is intuitive to me, and I mean, I talked to people, uh, SEL experts who told me, for example, that talking about discipline, school discipline issues, or for example, holding students accountable, strictly accountable for, the, for grades and test scores and their academic progress, stuff like that is not social and emotional learning. I was told by people, that's not what social and emotional learning is. I can tell you what it is. It's a set of aligned practices with with this and it has these domains and and everything. It is not those things. But then it's kind of odd to me because when you discipline a child, 
that is by the sort of words social and emotional learning it absolutely is supposed to be a, a part of how they learn and how they learn to behave themselves or to regulate themselves or to behave within their little community if they're breaking the rules and there may be some sanctions on them right and that's social and emotional and it's an aspect of learning so it could be that the term social and emotional learning by experts is used in a way that is narrow substantively and that people need to think about whether that's really what they want or not, whether they really should do think discipline policy should be divorced from social and emotional learning or that if students are, for example, held strictly accountable for their behavior and their academic outcomes, that that doesn't have a social and emotional component. Is that really the vision that they want to use in their schools? And that may also depend on the community. So um, I don't think there's any answer to that. You know, the poll was really meant to kind of see how parents react to these different you know, terms, different framings, different substance. And we found a lot of agreement that this is something that you know, the family is central to. And we found some divergence in some places. But I don't think it's going to answer you know, some of those deeper questions, I think probably raises more questions than it answers for a lot of kind of local school uh, administrators and teachers. Yeah, that's really interesting to me in like thinking of SEL as being like divorced from discipline because so much of discipline is proactive. I mean, I wouldn't want to be in a school where the only discipline that happened was reactionary or consequences. And as a teacher, like the most important thing I could do um, after any kind of event or thing was like that restorative conversation and that is like so sel to me like that chance to like reset expectations and to like address needs that the kid has because they always do i agree um, with all of that Brittany. but aren't consequences also something that have and um, that evoke an emotional response and that are yeah. part of like what goes yeah so absolutely I, I, I totally agree with every word you said but i also think that just the traditional consequences is a part of it too, because that's how we learn. Mm -hmm. A lot of people learn to regulate themselves is by facing some, okay, I guess I can't get away with that. And so they learn to behave and it may take time, but I mean, yeah. that's at least the goal, whether it's as effective. And I, I'm not saying that that's more effective than what you were talking about. I think it's no, yeah, all sure. related to social and emotional learning. Yeah. And like consequences are boundaries and like the reinforcement of those boundaries. And that mm -hmm. is a huge part of growing up. I think so. So one more thing kind of like on the terminology, something that surprised me is that like parents weren't a huge fan of social emotional learning and they were in general supportive of the term life skills and they liked social emotional and academic learning. But there was like a kind of a disparity as far as soft skills go. And I feel like the term soft skills is something that is used a lot, especially in like career education. Why do you think that is? I think that my opinion is, again, this is not something that we can answer with the survey results. I'm just kind of speculating. But my view on it is that, again, this is a place where those of us in education spend a lot of time talking to other people who are in education and reading a lot of stuff written by people who are in education. And I think one of the values of a poll of parents, of nationally representative poll, it's all the parents. It's not the ones that show up at the PTA meeting or the school board meeting or whatever. It's nationally representative. It's everybody is that you get kind of a gut check on the way that some of these things may sound to the communities that you're working in. And so a term like soft skills, uh, I, I know what connotations that has and I know what it means, but if 
to a, a person who's never you know been in you know, an ed school or never you know read a lot of books about education and doesn't know all of the jargon and terminology it may just kind of sound like fluff and it may not sound like something that's substantive it has the word soft in it soft is like a synonym for fluff i think so it's it, it may just kind of sound like oh, that's not going to be important. That's not going to be. So to, to those of us who work in the field, we know that soft skills aren't things that are totally meaningless. They're important things about attitudes and about showing up on time and stuff that's important skills to know that we can't call specific academic things or whatever. But for regular parents, that just that doesn't resonate. On the flip side, most people in education hate the term life skills. It evokes the sounds, it, it, or I'm sorry, it, you know, it sounds like the stuff of back in the 1950s. They had this life adjustment education movement, and everybody said it wasn't rigorous, and that it was like senators were saying it was teaching kids how to blow their nose, and that we needed to get rid of this. And Sputnik happened, and they decided like we got to get rid of this stuff, or we're falling behind the Russians. And so life skills has that connotation. It has like a, well, these people aren't going to really learn anything <laughs> like academics. So at least teach them how to do something practical with their life or whatever. And that just has all kinds of negative connotations for those of us who work in education, whether it's historical or it's kind of a tracking and equity thing or whatever. And parents just don't see it that way. <laughs> and so yeah. they don't know all of that history and they don't, doesn't have all those connotations for them. So I think that's the reason why you see that like totally to a person who is kind of an insider to this, it seems totally backwards, but I think that's what you're seeing. So I was actually going to talk about that term specifically. So I'm a special education teacher. And for me, like life skills is a very niche thing in special education. Usually for for students with disabilities that make it so that they need to learn very basic life skills, such as like how to dress and um, and things like that. And so if I were a parent and someone suggested my child needed life skills, I'd be like, what, what are you not telling me? Like, you know, obviously <laughs> yeah. like, there's more to this conversation. And Michael and I were talking about that a little bit. And I think that says so much about jargon yes. that we really have to have a common understanding of what we're talking about, or we could really be talking about two totally different things. I totally agree. Yeah, it almost seems like educators need to kind of read like words that work by Frank Loomis or something in order to kind of rethink maybe the way that they're approaching some of this language, because it's not just here, right? It feels like everything is always kind of filtered through this giant jargon in education. It really happens in almost every field, and it, there's a lot of theories as to why people develop all this stuff. And it's it's complicated because there are some times when the there's no plain spoken word for you know, for that term. I, I have a PhD in political science, and you know you want to talk about the median voter theorem. There's no way to like describe that <laughs> in a way that is going to just be t obviously intuitive because there's not a concept for that in everyday speech. So it's not that jargon or some a technical term is always a bad thing, but it can also serve to erect barriers around people mm -hmm. and people have a interest in doing that because when you're an insider and you know the jargon it keeps other people from competing for your job and so there's a fair amount of education unfortunately uh in in different specialties not just in education but it can get bad in education as well but there's a fair amount of the training and the when i say education a fair amount of education like going to school is kind of learning the insider jargon 
and and that's probably not a good thing for society, but it's uh, it's the way that it is. And for people who want to make a difference and engage stakeholders who are outside of the you know ivory tower or outside of the specialists in their field, they have to work to just like what you said, Michael, about you know, you gotta you've gotta constantly remind yourself hey, I got to put this in a way like explain it to my grandma or explain it to me from 10 years ago or explain it to somebody who is not, you know, doesn't have all of that same background. And that's a difficult thing. That audience problem in communications is very difficult, but leaders have to grapple with it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And but the thing about education is that it only works when families and kids and teachers and, and educators all are all on the same page. And so like jargon can serve a purpose, but we want our families. And if we've learned anything, it's like families have a very active and present role in their child's education. We just have to make, you know, we have to make sure it's accessible. Um, and thinking about language. So I, this is like a silly example, but I remember in third grade, I got a character report card and it mm. said diligent pupil. And I was so disappointed because I didn't know what diligent or pupil meant, <laughs> but I assumed it was bad because I didn't know those words. And I was like, oh man, they didn't say good job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, on the, you know, the stuff about the family that you just said, Brittany is totally right. And I think it's even more true. It's not just even more true. It's like probably much more true of SEL stuff than it is around the kind of core academic function of schools where we don't, I, I, we didn't ask this, but I would imagine that if we had asked parents, you know, who is most responsible for teaching your child algebra, they wouldn't have said that the parent is number one. They would have put the parent up there somewhere, but they probably would have said the teacher is, or the child him or herself or whatever would have been at the very top I'm I'm guessing, and that's because you know for obvious reasons. So when we talk about SEL, we're talking about all these attitudes and all these you know self motivation, all this kind of stuff that is obviously very important to the long term outcomes of of people, and that we need to learn. Parents don't see that as mostly the school's job. They see it as a thing that schools should be doing, and maybe we all need to be rowing in the same direction on that stuff, but. It's not something that is primarily in the schools. It is something that's primarily in the family. So when we talk about SEL, it's even more important that we're able to engage those families and make sure that that the parents have some idea what on earth you're talking about. And you know, using the jargon is probably the last thing you should be doing. And you mentioned this connection with the families. And I mean, we've seen this already with the way schools are approaching things like literacy, where we've kind of taken this approach where okay, a lot of this actually needs to happen in the home. And so schools are trying to do a lot of work with connecting what they're doing or bringing what they're doing into the home and for parents. And so, I mean, it seems like there is an opportunity here for schools to like, if they really do want to invest in social emotional learning or really do want to bring that into the curriculum to actually have ways of bringing that to the parents and equipping parents to be able to do that with their families themselves like they're doing with literacy already. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a, a difficult thing because not every family is the same and not, you know, not every family is going to be as receptive for a million different reasons. And they're going to have different values. Exactly. They're going to have different values in some cases. Uh, I do think that you can probably massage the the terminology enough that probably values isn't going to be a big concern there were some people who said that they were concerned that social and emotional learning would conflict with their values and 
probably those people would say that anything that the school was going to teach the child, you know, could be in conflict with their values and they might be concerned about that already, but it's especially important in an area that is about values. And so, but reaching out in the community and getting engaging parents, I, it's something that is, is quite difficult. We have the schools doing so many things already and it's, you know, it's this constant trade-off slash dilemma where you've got, we want schools to be good at doing school stuff and really good at that. And then we also realize that for young people to thrive, they need more than just academics. So then what's the answer? Do the schools need to become a complete wraparound service, you know, where they are doing everything? This gets into mental health issues, obviously, which are even more important now than they were a few years ago, probably for various reasons. And it's also, you know, the school's role in all of that. It, again, it's probably going to vary by community. It's probably going to vary by family. But it's actually kind of a dilemma because as much as all of that stuff is important for young people thriving, parents overwhelmingly think that the main thing the school needs to be doing is educating their kid. And so you don't want to be distracting from the core focus of your institution just because other things matter too. So it's actually like a, uh, it's not something that I think we're going to solve on this podcast, but it's something that probably most of the of, of the, the leaders that are listening are probably struggling with themselves. And I think this kind of connects to an interesting point you make in the report, because obviously like there are obviously political reasons why we can, you know, already kind of, you already kind of assumed that Republicans were going to be less favorable anyway, even going to this report, it seems like. And so obviously like there are political reasons there, but one of the things you actually point out is how when things about SEL are framed within like an either or context or seem like they're kind of being put up against something and it's going to have to choose between maybe like SEL or academics that that ends up creating a much different response than when it's not viewed or when it's not presented as like an either or option. And you mentioned earlier, like the problem solving and reasoning, how that was rated higher than math and English and language, um, which historically are the biggest concerns for most like most schools. So I thought that was a really interesting connection there that, that you made. And just, I think kind of points to how it's so important to make sure you're focusing on branding this and not focusing on trying to just throw in jargon and talk about this as a program. Because for parents, a lot of times when you put something in as a program, they're going to think of it as, well, what are you doing instead of this, right? That's right. And I think that this is a difficult thing about talking about social emotional learning because it's not clear to me that everyone thinks about this in the same way, whether social and emotional learning is something that we've all been doing forever and that every teacher knows quite a bit about by virtue of being a teacher and that we should, you know, make sure we don't ignore and that we should make sure that it's a part of when we do learn new pedagogical skills or when we observe classrooms or when we give feedback that we're thinking about, like, is the teacher doing this in a way that is going to connect most with the students and going to help them? Because we know that that stuff is valuable, right? I mean, like any good teacher, I mean, it's impossible to be a teacher, I think, and not know a lot about this stuff and to be thinking about, well, when I do this thing in my classroom, it helps my students to connect to the material in this way. And that has a social and emotional or it has social and emotional dimensions to it. So I think there's like that side of it of like how like, okay, so it's obviously important. And it also some of these social and emotional skills may emerge out of other skills. So I had to study my you know, my math homework every night. And then I learned some discipline and self-control over a longer time period. That may be a real thing, right? And so 
social and emotional could be emergent from doing some core academics. On the other hand, it's possible that some of this could be distracting from the core mission of academic mission of schools if you are, for example, spending a lot of professional development time learning about so, social and emotional learning and a bunch of new jargon and a bunch of new stuff that actually the teachers already know a lot of it, but they're learning some new words for it or they're learning some new evidence they didn't know before. And is that really going to make them better teachers? Is that going to make them uh, do better? Or might it be better if they were just learning some new pedagogical techniques or learning more about their discipline or observing classrooms? So there is actually a trade-off here sometimes, not always for sure. But I think some people want to think that there's never, well, social emotional learning is learning. So there's never a trade-off. But if you're spending your professional development time on learning new evidence for something you already knew and or learn, yeah, you're spending money on it too. You're spending, so there's resources going into that. And that I think is worth questioning whether that, I don't think parents are crazy to think that this could crowd out things that they uh, think are more important for the schools to be doing. So it's not really a question about whether social and emotional learning is important. It's a question of whether calling it that, emphasizing that, doing a bunch of trainings to learn a bunch of new diagrams of how this thing influences that thing, whether that is a better use of time than things like observing classrooms, learning new pedagogical techniques, practicing them with your peers, practicing them in schools, talking about it. There's other, or learning more about your own discipline, which we know is a very important thing for teachers to stay engaged in their discipline, especially middle school and high school teachers who are more specialists, that they need to stay engaged. So there are some trade-offs there. And I, I think that we have to be clear-eyed about that and not think that just because social and emotional learning is important, that means that it never hurts to talk about it a bunch. This is just all so fascinating because I feel like it's, tapping into some deeper anxieties that parents have about what's happening in schools. And we see this, you know, in like very politically charged ways with like CRT, but just also, sure. in, also in general ways and in ways where they want to know that their child is being, you know, well prepared for whatever next step that they take. And I think that, you know, we're in a very competitive environment whenever you think about college or other next steps. And so it makes sense that parents worry that their kid is not being as prepared as they could be or that time is not being spent that could be spent where they kind of get a leg up. And I think about like this with ACT classes. Those were my least favorite classes to teach. I hated them. Like a, um, like a test know. prep class? Yes. Yeah. Like ACT prep classes. Mm -hmm. But those were the classes that parents would beg to get their kids into mm -hmm. because because data showed that if they took an ACT prep class, they'd get a higher ACT score, that they would go to a better college, you know, the dominoes, like kind of, what do you call that word? Fall? Um, you know, things kind of um, trickle into one another. Mm -hmm. So like, what would you say about this broader anxiety? And do you think that that like played out at all in the political differences you saw between the Democrats and the Republicans? Right. So the trade-off that you're talking about is the same kind of thing I was talking about a minute ago. And I think it's a it's a genuine thing to you know worry about. And and we see a lot of instances where SEL programs and you know there's a lot of money flowing to different nonprofits or to different uh, people who do professional development that is for this stuff. We see some of them are emphasizing, well, you should have a class on this or you should have an SEL moment at the beginning of each class and stuff like that. 
And so uh, we talked in the, or we asked parents in the survey about the difference between teaching SEL in an explicit way versus an implicit way. We didn't say that, we said direct and indirect, which we thought was a little easier to understand, but it's the same kind of idea. And the vast majority of parents thought that SEL should be taught in a mix of indirect and direct. So that's not super helpful. <laughs> <laughs> because we don't really know what that mix would be. And we certainly didn't think that we could, you know, poll parents and really get a, a really nuanced answer to that. So <laughs> we, we did see some parents saying, I think more parents saying it should be done in an indirect way than in a direct way if they had to just choose one of those. I mean, if they didn't choose, you know, a mix. But the the implicit stuff is important to remember because... I was saying earlier that every teacher knows some of this stuff just by virtue of being a teacher. But a lot of these skills that we talk about when we talk about SEL can be learned through just doing school and, and doing it, having a teacher who, who does a good job at holding you accountable, making sure that you are encouraged, modeling good behavior, modeling civil discussion. Um, a lot of that stuff can can be learned in those indirect ways and, and different teachers in different disciplines are probably going to have different you know kinds of things that they might do and you might learn some of these skills more in one discipline than in another it may depend on what it is but you know if you're teaching literature this seems like it'd be pretty easy because you have got a lot of stories where characters go through challenges and then they have to have something happen and okay, well, that's a good place to talk about, you know, <laughs> most stories, person, yeah. right? And most stories have some of that stuff, right? So that would be places where you could talk about these things, I think. And it doesn't have to be in a wonky jargony way. It can be within the context of that. And that may resonate with those students. For a math teacher, it might be something different. For a science teacher, it might be something different. We just had a, uh, one, of, one of our staff members wrote a thing about the importance of doing SEL in science and how like some people think that science isn't a place you need to do it but there's a lot of things that you can learn about socially and emotionally through science whether it's through group work or other stuff but i think it's going to vary but i don't know about the value of ex explicit instruction on this stuff i would probably put myself in the second bucket too that like probably a mix is probably better but I definitely wouldn't ignore that you can do a whole lot of this stuff by just doing your job really well as a teacher I think the science one's really interesting because obviously like with the pandemic and, you know, the whole lab leak stuff that's been around, like there has been this, I mean, we've seen this more public debate around the ethics within science. And so I think it's, it's mm -hmm. which has been going on in science for a long time, but it's just interesting that I was, that's public. So I think it's kind of interesting that that should be brought into it, uh, which just a complete aside, but you mentioned the indirect methods and not ignoring those. And that actually kind of brings into your four recommendations that you lay out in the report, uh, one, use plain language. Two, focus on specifics. Three, don't ignore indirect methods of uh, teaching SEL. And then the fourth was leveraging the influence of other adults. And so I want to talk about like the second, the last two that you mentioned, the indirect that you had talked about, and then other adults, because it seems like just if you're doing SEL really well in your school district, that you're going to just be doing that anyway. So it seems mm -hmm. like that's just kind of part of just good SEL regardless. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the important role of other adults, we wanted to emphasize that because for we all have to do our best in our job, regardless of whether our job is the 
main lever by which a good thing happens. So like, maybe a teacher is not, or teachers in general are not the main, you know, conveyors of SEL skills to, to students. Although I've known a fair number of people who had at least one teacher who really helped them and, and teach them, taught them a lot of things. Maybe it wasn't all of them in the aggregate. It was one special one who connected with them. But even if it's not the main responsibility, you know, it, the main burden of learning this stuff isn't go on teachers. It doesn't mean that we, you know, don't have to do the best that we can and that we you know, shouldn't try to do as well as we can for our students and our schools. But we also probably should have a little humility and know that a lot of the stuff that you learn is mostly going to come from the culture and, and the community and from the family and that, um, you know, we can do our best and we should do our best. But students have a lot of influences over them that are not just the teacher. And these kinds of values and, and those kinds of things are not the kind of things that are going to, they're, they're going to be influenced by a lot of different things. So having the teachers and the administrators engaging with parents on that, you know, at least they can get them kind of rowing in the same direction, make sure that they understand what they're doing in school. Um, that said, some of that stuff may just be like, not exactly, you know, the way that people talk about SEL. It may be what you don't want to make it sound like, well, we have to be doing five things about SEL to tell the parents we did something because maybe those five things are just like, you know, we make sure that students have a opportunity to reconcile with people, you know, that they have done wrong to in the school community and we we hold them accountable for their actions if what they do harms another person and we hold them accountable for their grading and we encourage them and make sure that we have a culture of positivity maybe it's things like that and aren't really mm -hmm. the kind of thing you're going to pick up in an sel pd probably either so i'm getting back into the direct indirect stuff but i think that uh, engaging families and letting letting families know that, you know, here are some values that we're promoting. Here are some skills that we're expecting. And here's some ideas for things that you could be doing to reinforce that. That could be pretty powerful too, I think. And so I want to move on to the first two suggestions that you give as well, the focus on specific and focus on specifics and use plain language. And kind of on the surface, it sounds pretty obvious, but I was wondering if you could just explain a little bit more of what that should look like in practice for school administrators. Just to reiterate, you know, we found really strong support for the substance of most of this stuff. Like, should students learn goal setting in school? Everybody says yes, basically. Should students learn empathy for people of other backgrounds? Even the groups, when we broke it out by subgroup, there's like no group that doesn't have at least like two thirds of the people who think that students should learn that in school. So, the substance of this stuff is very popular with parents, and I think that the way it should look in practice is going to vary by community, but has to be probably about emphasizing the substance and, and the concrete over the abstract and, and trying to avoid the jargon and stuff that will probably get in the way of parents' understanding. I mean, if they're an important stakeholder, the parents, it's hard to see what the value of communicating in a language they don't understand could be. So I, I think it's just helpful to, to be able to communicate with them in the concrete and, and you know, using language that they're gonna, it's gonna resonate with them as much as you can. Well, just to wrap up there, I 
wanted to know if there was any other advice or any other recommendations you had out there for uh, school administrators or just anything else you wanted to share with them before we before we hop off. Well, I don't know if we talked about the report is available on, at the Thomas B. Fordham Institute's website. It's a web-based report. You don't have to download a PDF or anything. You can just kind of scan through it and click through it. It's got five key findings and four recommendations and a bunch of stuff that we weren't able to talk about. And maybe at least some some of those things may be of particular interest to to some members of your audience. So if you have more interest in this, I'd say you know check out the, the full report. And you know the Thomas B. Fordham Institute offers a lot of, of commentary and research on uh, a lot of different topics in education policy. So if you're not familiar with us, you can uh, check out. We have our own podcast, the Education Gadfly Show. We have you know a weekly newsletter. We have you know reports that come out regularly and uh, and commentary all the time. So you can check us out there or check me out there. And uh, yeah, I, I think we've talked all, through the recommendations probably sufficiently, Michael. But mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, uh, there's there's a lot more content there and and, and on our website. Mm-hmm. And we will link all of this information and all the resources that you mentioned in the show notes for everybody. So if you want to look up the Thomas B. Fordham Institute or the report, just check the show notes to be able to find the links there. Thanks so much, Adam, for joining us again. Really do appreciate you hopping on today. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to this school CEO conversation. Go to sel.fordhaminstitute.org to check out How to Sell SEL, Parents and the Politics of Social-Emotional Learning. You can follow Adam on Twitter at RedAndExpert. Check out the show notes to learn more about his research at the Fordham Institute. Subscribe to School CEO at schoolceo.com for more advice, stories, and strategies for leading your schools. School CEO is brought to you by Aptigee.